Zechariah. Chapter 4. If you're there, say amen. You guys are mellow tonight, man. It says, Then the angel who had been talking with me returned and woke me as though I had been asleep. What do you see now? He asked. I answered, I see a solid gold lampstand with a bowl of oil on top of it. Around the bowl are seven lamps, each having seven spouts with wicks. And I see two olive trees, one on each side of the bowl. Then I asked the angel, what are these, my Lord, and what do they mean? Don't you know, the angel asked. No, my Lord, I replied. Then he said to me, this is what the Lord says to Zerubbabel. It is not by force nor by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Nothing, not even a mighty mountain, will stand in Zerubbabel's way. It'll become a level plain before him, and when Zerubbabel sets the final stone of the temple in place, the, te- the people will shout, May God bless it. May God bless it. Then another message came to me from the Lord. Zerubbabel is the one who laid the foundation of this temple, and he'll complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of heaven's armies has sent me. Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin, to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. The seven lamps represent the eyes of the Lord that search all around the world. Then I asked the angel, what are these two olive trees on each side of the lampstand? And what are the two olive branches that pour out a, a golden oil through the two golden tubes? Don't you know, he asked. No, my Lord, I replied. Then he said, they represent the two anointed ones who stand in the court of the Lord of all the earth. Father in heaven, there are truths for us tonight that are going to open our ears, our hearts, our eyes to see you and be attuned to you in ways that we have not yet been. God, I, I pray tonight that for those that have been going and looking for you um, in the very same places they've always looked for you, for those that have expected to find you in the same ways that they found you before. Father God, I ask that you would open up our eyes to see you in ways we've never seen you before. That you would speak to hearts and that pieces of more than coincidental happenings would come together and we would see a bigger picture of what you've been trying to tell us. Father God, I thank you that you are speaking more than we're hearing. And so God, tonight, speak to hearts, speak to lives, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You can be seated. Title of my message tonight is Not by Force Nor by Strength. Older versions would say, Not by Might Nor by Power, but by My Spirit, says the Lord. I want to offer some backdrop here in Zechariah chapter 4, um, and I think it'll kind of help um, where we're going. Um, this chapter reveals how pretty much God, by his spirit, rebuilt the temple under the leadership of Zerubbabel. Um, And in verses 1 through 5, Zechariah receives his fifth night vision. He receives his fifth night vision. And we're going to see some wonderful truths tonight, but I'm just going to tell you that the things that I'm going to share tonight, you really have to grasp with your heart. Um, You're going to have to, you're going to have to, you're going to have to grasp these, these truths with your heart or it's just going to seem like some preacher was talking about stuff and I really didn't get it. 
How many of you know that there are things that are better caught than taught? And so I think the language that um, we're going to be speaking tonight is going to appeal more to your heart than, than maybe, you know, to, to your mind. And I'm grateful for those messages that are so rich and full of, you know, biblical knowledge and, and, uh, and statistics. And this is going to be a message of a different kind tonight. The language in verse 1 holds a lot more than you might initially think. It says, Then the angel who had been talking with me returned and woke me up as though I had been sleeping. As though I had been sleeping. And he asks, you know, what do you see now? Most older versions imply that the prophet has been sleeping. I believe the New Living Translation that I'm reading from tonight captures it best when it says, as though I had been asleep. And then in verse 2, it says, what do you see now? The College Press NIV commentary says, moreover, the use of the same verb in the comparison as a man is awakened from his sleep, referring to older versions, indicates that arousing to a higher state of prophetic receptivity is intended rather than a physical awakening. So what's being said here is that the prophet was awake, but he wasn't seeing everything that the Lord wanted him to see. So when the angel came and, you know, jostled, you know, Zechariah, and it says that he woke him up as if he had been asleep, he wasn't sleeping. He wasn't sleeping. And it's like God was shaking him so that he would look a little bit further or so that he would lean in and hear a little bit harder. God was trying to communicate something to Zechariah that he wasn't getting the first time around. He wasn't getting it. And so now the angel's coming in and shaking him and saying, you know, hey, you need to get this. You're not getting this. I think of verses like Ephesians 1.18 that speak of the eyes of our heart being enlightened. When you became a believer in Jesus, when you invited Jesus into your heart, your heart awakened. Your heart awakened. And your heart began to see. And your heart began to feel things that it never had seen or felt before. I can remember after I had asked Jesus into my heart that I just all of a sudden noticed nature. I mean, I, I love being outdoors, but all of a sudden I noticed it and how beautiful it was. Because I was, I was awakened on the inside. One songwriter, Randy Stonehill, wrote a song, and he said that becoming a Christian is like waking up from the longest dream. You, 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 you came alive, and you were awakened. I want to refer to um, a portion of Scripture in Isaiah chapter 6, and Isaiah chapter 6 is a is, is just a powerful portion of scripture, but I want to refer to it because Jesus references it in the New Testament. But I want to read it to you first from Isaiah 6. Isaiah 6, 9 and 10. And he said, yes, go and say to this people, listen carefully, but do not understand. Watch closely, but learn nothing. 
Harden their hearts, harden the hearts of these people, plug their ears and shut their eyes. That way they will not see with their eyes, nor hear with their ears, nor understand with their hearts, and turn to me for healing. Isn't that powerful? I want to show you Jesus referencing this in, in uh, Matthew 13 now. Matthew 13. Look at verse 14. It says, this fulfills the prophecy, the prophecy of Isaiah that says, when you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. For the hearts of these people are hardened and their ears cannot hear and they have closed their eyes so their eyes cannot see and their ears cannot hear, their hearts cannot understand and they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. They can't turn to me and let me heal. They're, they're not getting it. They're not turning to me and because they're not turning to me, I cannot help them. They can't hear me. They can't see me in this. They don't, they don't get it. And because they're not getting it, they're not turning to me. And because they're not turning to me, I cannot heal them. Let me show you this in the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, just about from start to finish, you'll see references like this. I want to draw your attention to them. Regarding the seven churches, at the end of every message to those seven churches, it says, anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. You see it in verse 7 of chapter 2. You see it in verse 11 of chapter 2. You see it in verse 17 of chapter 2. You see it in verse 29 of chapter 2 and in all seven churches. And then at the end of the book of Revelation in chapter 22, it says this. So start to finish, start to finish. In 22, verse 17, it says, The Spirit and the bride say, Come. Let anyone who hears this say, Come. Let anyone who is thirsty come. Let anyone who desires to drink freely from the water of life. Jesus spoke in parables. And it's not because he was trying to make things mysterious or, or difficult to understand. It was because he wanted to speak to those that were hungry enough and were turning to him and really, really wanted to hear. Really, really wanted to hear. I cannot tell you how many times I've been here. I cannot tell you. I cannot tell you how many times I was tuning in and turning to, to everything but God. And just in a moment when I was turning to God, all of a sudden, everything made sense. And even the stuff that wasn't working out, all of a sudden it wasn't as significant anymore and God was more significant. And it just didn't matter. I don't know about you, but I think God, as we turn to him again and again and again and again, he heals us. He heals us emotionally in ways that we probably won't even know until we get to heaven. I mean, I don't know about you. Think about what you were like before you were saved. Man, I tried to go there. I'm thinking, geez, I was struggling with depression. I had, I had ulcers. I was, 
I was masking, you know, I was drinking, I was using drugs, I was, I was masking everything, and then all of a sudden I become, I become a Christian. And it wasn't like everything was perfect, but I just kept coming to church. I just kept pressing in and, and leaning in to God, and I believe I was getting set free from, 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 from stuff left and right. I believe the more that we press into him, the more that we get healed. I believe the more that we turn to him, the more that we get healed. We, we all want that, that immediate healing. We all want that dramatic, like right now, you know, healing. What if it comes in repeated turnings? To God again and, a, and again. What if it's a matter of you turning away from something and turning to him again and again and again? I believe every time you turn to him, your ears open up more. And I've so seen it. So seen it. And it's, it's crazy because, you know, God shows Zechariah this vision and, and he's not getting it. And then God interprets it for him. And God says, it's not by force nor by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So he's telling the prophet that he's going to use Zerubbabel, I think I'm saying his name right, to rebuild the temple. Who thinks of these names for these children? Um, to rebuild the temple and how nothing's going to stand in his way. How nothing's going to stand in his way. I thought of verses like 2 Corinthians three seventeen, where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. So where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. There's not hindrance. There's, there's freedom. There's not obstacles. There's, there's freedom. There's not limits. We place limits. We, we, we put hindrances on ourselves. You know what? I just can't. You know, I would do that. You know, I'm so proud of you stepping out and doing that. I'm, you know, that's really amazing, you know, how, you know, God's using you there at the church, how you're, how you're I did that. never would that happen. With, you're putting the hindrances on you. I've had people tell me that I know God is asking me to do something, Pastor John, but I just can't see it. You don't want to know. You don't want to be that dependent on God. You don't want to have to trust him to that degree. Well, what if, what? Well, like God's setting you up to fail. Like God's asking you to do something and saying, see, I told you you should have trusted me. He knows that you're stepping out as trusting him. You think it's some big shocker that you're completely in over your head and you're uncomfortable? You think that that's some, something revelatory to God? No, he knows it. And every step that you take says, God, I'm, I'm hearing you. I'm trusting you. I'm, I'm doing this. Look at verses 8 through 10. And I want to show you a, a powerful truth. And then I want to tell you how it came to play in my, my own life. Verses 8 and 10, 8 through 10, it says, Then another message came to me from the Lord. Zerubbabel is the one who laid the foundation of this temple, and he will complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of heaven's armies has sent me. Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin, to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. I believe here lies a key as to why many do not see God do big things. Um, many do not see God do big things because they despise the beginning of small things, and I found God's in the small things. He's in the small things. You know, so many people want 
to just jump to the big things. No, 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 no. No, it, it, it doesn't work like that. It just doesn't. It doesn't. And you miss out on so much when you, you despise these small beginnings. And the reason why Zechariah 4.10 was so important to me, and I didn't remember this. The Holy Spirit causes you to remember stuff. And I've got a really good memory. I mean, I can, I can remember, you know, drinking from a bottle. I can remember crawling out of my crib. I can, I, I mean, I've got a memory. I've had people tell me they can't remember anything before 10 years old. Um, I, I've got a, we, we have amazing memories in my family, um, amazing memories. I've got a brother who's um, close to 70, and he can remember um, not only who he went to movies with and what the movies were when he was a teenager, but he can remember the clothes that he was wearing. I have a brother that was so good with music trivia that they told him to stop calling. The radio station says, quit calling. Have you waited 30 days? I've waited 30 days. Quit calling. You know, don't, they literally told him to, to, to not call. Give somebody else a chance. I mean, we have incredible memories. Um, I didn't remember this until I was preparing this message, but that scripture that says, do not despise the days of small beginnings. When I was ordained as a minister in 1994, pastor spoke that word over me. And God brought, me, brought, back, brought that back to my remembrance. Don't despise the day of small beginnings. And in the moment, I'm thinking, okay, you know. Okay. I had no idea how that was going to play out. You know, I didn't know that I was going to pastor a church in Ionia, that we were going to begin in a house with 15 people, that we were going to move to the middle school Watt Auditorium, be there for almost six years, that we were going to buy one building, that we were going to buy another building, that we were going to buy three more buildings, that we were going to level two of them, and that this church was going to go up, and that we were going to buy a bar and, and level it to the ground and tick everybody off in the city that attended that bar. And, you know, I didn't know that all of that was going to happen. I just needed to keep my heart right and not despise small beginnings. You know, isn't it amazing that when, remember when God was hiding Moses? Remember Moses said, I want to see your glory. And Moses said, or God told Moses, I'm going to hide you in the, in the, in the, in, the, in the cleft of the rock and, and uh, was God in the thunder was, was he, in the, was he in, the, in the lightning or was he the still small voice I think God speaks through the small things because we've got to be still and small ourselves to, to hear him in those moments we think that God's in the big things and I'm not saying that he isn't. I'm just saying that there's an awful lot of work that takes place in the small things before you ever get to the big things. And you'll never get to the big things that God does if you despise the days of small beginnings. Something's not healthy and something's not right with our heart when we're not content with where we're at and what God's doing right here and right now. Something's wrong. We're not turning to him like we should 
when we're just not where we want to be in life? Well, what if you're exactly where God would have you to be because where you are right now, as unpleasant as it is to you, will cause you to turn to him so that he can heal you? And you want to despise this time in your life and you wish you could just jump over it and God's saying, no, are you kidding me? This is foundational to your life. This is, this is huge to your life. You need to be right where you are. I got stuff to show you. You're going you're gonna to be able to, to, to discern my voice like you never could before because of this awful time that you're going through right now. Man, the next thing you know, you're in that desert and out pops a rose. The next thing you know, you're in that desert and all of a sudden there's this stream that God provided. Streams in the desert. Next thing you know, you're looking at a forest, and all of a sudden, God cuts away through, through that forest. Why? Because you didn't despise where you were. Something's not healthy in us when we, you know, I should be so much further by now. I, should, I shouldn't be, I'll do, you know what I should be doing? I should be. And God's saying, you don't get it. You should be a lot of things but I want to be all that stuff that you want to be. I want to be that in your life. I want to be the promotion. I want to be the prosperity. I want to be the person that you love the most. I want to be all that stuff that you would provide for yourself if you could. I want to be that. I'm in the small stuff now. I'm in the small stuff. Before we ever get to the big stuff, I'm in the small stuff. Don't dare despise the day of small beginnings. Don't. They're the building blocks of your life. And if in those moments, if you don't despise them, you'll begin to hear God's voice. I didn't know that all of those challenging times as we were growing, you know, Lisa and I, I mean, we were married, what? Like five Years when we started the church, two little boys and, you know, five years of marriage. I, so much that we, that we didn't know. And I can remember many times thinking, man, I, I wish, I, you know, Lord, I, I can't wait when. And I remember being frustrated. And in those moments, I think that I was just off. I can remember I had a a prophet. I didn't really know about him. A tremendous man of God was um, the kind of guy that would give himself regularly to fasting and prayer, believe that God called him to that. And I'm talking 30, 40 days at a stretch fasting and prayer. And during those times, he'd make his wife dinner and everything. I mean, just a, a man that spent a great deal of time with God and, and very godly man. And he walked over to me. I um, was in a meeting that he was at, and he walked over to me, and he said, you're right where you're supposed to be, and you're right on schedule. You're right on time. And that word just broke me because that's the last thing that I felt I was. You know, and it's real easy to think like that when you're comparing yourself to, to, to those people in there and to those people over there. And it's real easy to get there. If I would have despised the day of small beginnings, I wouldn't be here today standing before you. When we were at the Radiant Church in Portage yesterday for a, 
uh, a network gathering of a bunch of churches and pastors and staff. And I, I kept thinking um, how odd it must have been for Mary and Jesus. And I'm always thinking about, um, you know, Christmas portions of Scripture during this time of year. And we were, the pastors, we were all talking to each other, you know. You know, just how many ways can you pack, can you package a Christmas message? And what are you preaching on? What are you preaching on? What are you preaching on? And I, I'm, I always try to put myself um, in, in the scenes, you know, um, you know uh, what it was like. It sometimes helps you to, to see it a little bit more clearly. So by the time the three wise men got to, to Jesus, the Bible says the child was there in the house with his mother. So the wise men didn't arrive at the stable. It was like a, about a year later. But I thought about how odd it must have been for these three wise men to come in to the house where Joseph, Mary, and, and Jesus, you know, was uh, to bring their gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And the Bible says that they bowed down and they worshiped him. How odd that must have been. I mean, here's this like year old. I mean, picture a year old child. And they're bowing down and they're worshiping him. That even at a year old, he was Lord of Lords and he was, he was King of Kings. Even in his infancy, he was worshiped. And that just blows my mind, you know. Just blows my mind. I thought about how Jesus was worshipped as an infant. I then thought about how critical it is for us to worship Jesus in our infancy. We must worship Jesus at the infancy of a vision. We must worship Jesus at the infancy of our faith. We must worship Jesus at the infancy of restoration. We must worship Jesus at the infancy of healing. We must worship Jesus at the infancy of revelation. Do not despise the days of small beginnings. Worship Jesus through those times. Just worship him. God, I don't... I, I, I don't get it. I don't get why I am where I am, and I don't, I don't, I don't get it. I'm not happy with where I am right now, but you must be because you're allowing me to be here, and I somehow need to hear you like I've never heard you before. I need to be awakened so that I can see what I'm not seeing. I'm not seeing something. What am I not seeing? What am I not getting? God, why am I here? Those are the questions that we need to ask. It's not what is wrong with me. It's more, God, why do you have me here? How many times I prayed prayers like, God, why did you call me to Ionia if this, 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 and this, and this is the way that it is? If this is the way that it's going? Why? Why are we here? Why did you send us here? And sometimes God answers those, those, those cries out to him, and sometimes he's quiet. And so I keep pressing in. And I keep pressing in. I've never had God tell me, John, why are you worshiping me right now? Why are you doing that? John, why are you seeking me right now? What is this all about? Never had the Lord say that. Because you can't worship him and seek him enough. And then if you're not careful, you can become this professional Christian and you can be doing everything right outwardly in your hearts like a week back there or 
It's over off to the side, and you're honoring God with your lips, and your hearts are far from him, and then you're getting frustrated because God's not receiving this offering, even though your heart's not in it. And God starts speaking to your heart that's back there somewhere while you're here and you're irritated. Why are you mad? You're not even genuinely worshiping me right now. Why are you mad? You're not genuinely seeking me right now. You want something from me. You don't want me. God will say stuff like that to you. That's how he talks to me. And it's uncomfortable. But God always deals with your heart. Always deals with your heart. He deals with your heart in the mess before he ever delivers you from it. He deals with your heart in the mess. I wrote this statement down in my notes. It's never a matter of how big something is. It's only a matter of how God something is. It's not an issue of how big something is. It's a matter of whether or not it's God for you. Is that the Lord for you? Is that person that you think that you're in love with, are they really God for you? Really? I mean, you ready to spend the rest of your life together? Have a family together? Is, is that really God for you? There's this fear of thinking that, man, if not them, then who? It's such a small world. What am I going to do? What if God doesn't provide? What if God's trying to provide for you and you're getting in the way of his provision? It's not a matter of how big something is. I, I, I've come to find that if I magnify God, then, and everything else is small, then all of a sudden, life seems to make sense. The bigger God is in my life, the more life makes sense. I don't, I don't know if you, if you get that or not. And while we're trying to provide for ourselves, I think God's over on the side saying, would you allow me to provide for you? I could bless you. And my blessing, the blessing of the Lord, could make you rich, but there won't be any sorrow with my blessing. You're killing yourself to try to bring this about your own hand, your own strength. And scriptures like this, not by force, not by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord. These should be like hallmark verses for us that, man, I am not going to be that person that is going to strive and that's going to kill themselves to be some success when God's saying, Man, it's not by your might nor by your power. It's going to be by my spirit. Are you getting this? They that are called the children of God are led by the spirit of God. They that are called the sons of God are led by the spirit of God. They that are the daughters of God are led by the spirit of God. Let me lead you. Let me lead you. And the Bible says that when the Lord is our shepherd, there's nothing that we're going to want. He'll lead us beside you know, still waters. He'll lead us into, into green pastures. He'll lead us into his provision. But we so struggle being led by God. And this does not have to be rocket science. You know, I'm not going to get up in the morning and, and say, I am not going to eat anything for breakfast until I know what God's will is for me to eat them. Some things, okay, come on. I mean, you don't get too spiritual because then we really muddy the water too. But man, when you're at that crossroads in life, when you're at that fork in the road, you know, God... 
I really, really need to hear from you. And it can be really difficult to hear from God if we have not been practicing his presence, like Brother Lawrence would say. If we've not been practicing his presence when we really need to hear from him, we don't know if it's him. And so now, when things are small, don't despise these days because you're discovering him now. You're discovering his leadings now. You're discerning those checks and you're discerning those pushes. You're discerning that all right now, in a day that you would despise, God's saying, don't despise these days. Don't despise the days of small beginnings. I am so in there right now with you. I've got plans and such, such great potential you have. I've got plans for you. But if you despise what I'm doing now, then it's going to be very difficult for me to bring you into anything bigger. Man, I was always taught that you don't bite the hand that feeds you. And if we're being fed by God, then we shouldn't be biting anything that he's offering us. We're taking any bone that God's thrown our way. And I find that every step of obedience, I believe it's, there's, there's healing in it. I believe there's, there's an increase of faith in it. Every step of obedience that we take, every fear that we face and we step out with God, he's so in it, so in it. Man, if the wise men could worship Jesus in his infancy, then why in our infancy can we not worship him too? You know, maybe, you know, God's not speaking. Then, then just worship him. Man, I think of a couple scriptures. John chapter 4, 24. John chapter 9, 31. God doesn't hear everyone. But if he's a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. God doesn't hear sinners, but if he's a worshiper of, of God and does his will, he hears him. So, man, I'm going to worship him. I'm going to worship him. I'm going to be a worshiper. And a worshiper isn't somebody that just worships when they're in church on a Wednesday or a Sunday. A worshiper is somebody who worships. And when I think of the word worshiper, I don't think that that is just, man, the people that gather on Sundays. I'm thinking of people who regularly worship. And you know what? Corbin Coons isn't always going to be there for you to, to worship God. You know, Corbin, I just can't worship without you. You know, can you come over? It's about midnight. I won't keep you long. I mean, I just really need a breakthrough. You know, it's not going to happen. Pastor John, should I do this, dude? Do not go. Stay home. When I see worshiper, it doesn't say and has a full worship band with. Be a worshiper of God. There's something about our genuinely worshiping him that draws him close to us. That's why you feel God's presence so strong when you're worshiping him. If you think about it, in the service, there's really one part of the service that's really all for God. And it's the worship. All the other parts of the service are kind of for us. Worships, it's all his. Whatever you do, don't despise. Don't despise where you are right now. Don't despise what God's doing in your life right now. God's revealing to you right now 
that it isn't going to be by anything you could do. It's not going to be by any strength that you have, any talent, any gifting, any ability, any natural charisma, any personality, any strength, any talent, nothing, nothing you've got to offer. Right now you are in school with the Holy Spirit and you are finding out that it is going to be by His Spirit if you are going to build anything of lasting value for God. In this case, it was the rebuilding of the temple. And God's trying to shake you from a spiritual slumber and get you to look again. Look, no, 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 no. Look again. Look again. See this. No wonder why Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus, made the eyes of their heart be enlightened. No wonder why he was praying it. He's saying, you need to see this with your heart. And when God speaks, where does he speak first? Does he speak to your head? Speaks to your heart. And then you wrestle with it in your head. God speaks to your heart. You feel it when God speaks. See, when God speaks, more often than not, it's not this, this wrestling you know, match was, was that God or not? I'll tell you how you know that it's God. Because it challenges your flesh like crazy. And it's excitement mixed with a little bit of fear about the future, you know that it's God. In fact, you know that it's God when you are wrestling with it in your mind. Because you know it was, and you're reasoning it away. No, that couldn't have been. You know, God knows me. God would not ask me to do that. God knows what kind of person. God knows I'm an introvert. There's just no way he would ask me to do that. It's just crazy. That's crazy. You know, God, you know, my, maybe I was just, you know, so close to the person next to me that actually heard something that God intended for them. I heard it, and Man, you know when it's God, it pierces you. And God could be speaking to you right now something that was said. It's amazing how in a room full of people, everybody could hear something different from the Lord. Holy Spirit does that. And so I want to pray over you tonight at the close. And we'll open up the altars after we pray. If any of you want to pray about anything specific with our ministry team. But I just feel led to pray for you.